podcast with James and Jane. Hey, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you all about the great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out our online seminar program, the workshops we run, as well as our coaching and all the other podcasts we've recorded. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now on to this episode. Hello, this is James. And this is James. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. We're continuing a theme we've touched on a few times recently around responsible business. And we've got a special guest today. Who are we speaking to, Jane? We are speaking to Russell Findlay, who is CEO of Speakers Trust and formerly CEO of organizations like London Youth Games Foundation, uh, Film Football Foundation. And we're going to be talking to him about ethical decision making in the third sector. Yeah, it's a really interesting area, isn't it? And I, I, for me, it feels like something that's um, increasingly prominent in the public eye, the need for responsibility within business, the need for ethical decision-making within the corporate sector, but also within the charitable sector. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. So, I mean, obviously my background is is working in non-profit organisations, and I, I just, I feel like they've spent quite a lot of time being expected to model business because that's efficient. And actually, as we've started talking to other people, like B Corp, and we spoke yeah. to James Perry at Cook, um, starting to understand how charities are adjusting or how they're coping with making that sort of understanding their own externalities and stuff, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, and the pressures they face, which I think a lot of people not working in the third sector might not have as good of a grasp on as those working in the more charitable space. Yeah, and I think I think stress is everywhere, right? But I think it's different. Yeah. Uh, it's different things, and therefore we thought it might be worthy of a conversation. Yeah, well, let's jump into it. Okay, so here we are in the core of this episode, and, and today we're speaking to Russell Finlay. He's the Chief Executive of the Speakers Trust, and we're continuing our conversation around the theme of responsible business, and we're speaking to Russell specifically uh, around things like ethical decision-making and aspects of ethics within the third sector, the, the charitable sector. Um, before we get into that, Russell, would you be able to introduce yourself to the audience and say a bit more about yourself, your background, and perhaps the Speakers Trust? Sure. Uh, well, I'll start with the Speakers Trust. Speakers Trust is a charity that helps young people uh, build the confidence, the skills, and gives them the opportunity to express their opinion. So it's public speaking training, communication skills, and then we run a stage, a series of events that uh, give young people a platform um, to give their perspective on the world. That's the organization I'm currently chief executive of. I've been a chief exec of third sector organizations for the last 15 years. Um, and that follows a career in the corporate sector where I was in strategy and strategy consulting across about 20 different countries. Wow. Wow. That's a broad background. Yeah. And a big change. It's not the typical charity chief execs uh, career pathway, but uh, I think it gives me probably a slightly different perspective on on the world of the third sector uh, from from seeing different areas before. Yeah. And particularly in a conversation like this, where we're speaking about um, ethics and ethical decision making and and I guess the sort of impetus behind organizations and, and how they behave, it gives you a great place to have um, a foot in both camps and to have experienced the, the corporate world as well as the third sector. Yeah, absolutely. I think the more different perspectives you take on this kind of thing, the the better and the more, I suppose, enriched you, your view is. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, before we get into the details and actually focus a little bit on what ethical decision-making is and then some ways around it, um, why do you think that this is a relevant topic? You know, why is 
uh, ethical decision making important and and why is it relevant in the charitable sector specifically uh, i guess for, for me it's important to know what you're doing i mean ethics at its at its core is just about why you make the decisions you make and and why you're doing uh, the actions you're doing and i think if you look at the third sector we've progressed from doing good stuff uh, to very much the focus at the moment is on impact measurement. So looking yeah. at the the return on investment or the numbers. And I think the focus quite rightly is shifting much more to the how, uh, the how we're doing it and the broader impact. So whilst each charity can have the impacts on its beneficiaries, none of us go through life without impacting others, whether that's employees, it's the environment, um, or it's other organizations or, or other impacts. So I think the the bit for me is we're seeing it to be current now. Um, when you look back over the last year and you see some larger NGOs having issues of uh, how they've worked within um, different countries and the impacts on beneficiaries to so some of the larger international NGOs, um, mm-hmm. some accusations of bullying in some of the large charities, and then some of the practices in fundraising, so things like poverty porn. And and I think yeah. those are just some of the issues that strike uh, home about charities thinking about the broader impacts of their work. It's interesting because I think a lot of people who aren't involved in the charitable world with the exception of some of those more uh, prominent news stories about decisions and behaviours and some of them, wouldn't necessarily perceive that charitable organisations are under some of the same pressures as more corporate organisations. So when, when you talk about the, the you know value for money, essentially, and, and how you're getting return on your investment, some of that language is language that I historically would have associated more with the corporate world than with the... Yeah, yeah I think it is changing in terms of having evidence-based uh stories to to tell about the charitable impact um but i suppose the other answer to your question about why charities is there there isn't that um one target to look at of shareholder value that a corporate would have so every charity is involved in doing social good and, and in a way that's how we're regulated so it's really important for a charity to define what they mean by good and and that's at the heart of ethics yeah. And as you were chatting earlier, you, um, you you talked about the sort of timeliness in terms of the bad behaviors that we see. I think in, in my perspective, there's a lot of timeliness around the sort of zeitgeist nature of doing good as well and the SDGs and things like that. Um, when when we talk about focusing on achieving a good thing and, and producing a you know, societal benefit, um, I, I think that sometimes we, at least in the corporate world, run into the risk of ignoring the externalities of the negative side consequences of the things that we do. do is, is that relatable in the third sector, would you say? Yeah, it is. And I think I was at a, a conference of chief execs uh, probably about six months ago, and one of the presenters was from an environmental charity, and a number of the people sitting in the audience were from a homeless charity. And what's quite a lot of homeless charities uh, advocate for is is building lots more uh, homes and changing the infrastructure we have. Now, building and construction and concrete is one of the greatest impacts on the environment. So in some ways, the complexity of 
doing social good and the externalities that you talk about are real life factors. And, and that's what I mean about focusing beyond your own mission and your own direct impact into thinking of how you work as an organization and, and what that will mean for the society around. Yeah. And and that sounds difficult. I mean, it's a, it's a systemic problem. And, and I guess when we work in compartmentalized organizations focusing on specific objectives, we do run the risk of missing some of that impact on the, um, on, on the broader systems that we operate in. Do, do you think that uh, it, there's a difference between, I guess, corporate entities and charities and nonprofits? Do you think it's easier or harder to be ethical or, or do you think it's kind of similar? I, I think there are similar issues faced. I think it's probably um, more uh, at the surface for charities because we're thinking of ethical stuff all of the time rather than having a target of uh, making money, which in some ways is an ethical choice as, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think, um, you know, if I look at smaller and smaller medium-sized charities, there's far less resources available to consider some of those impacts. And, and also, because people are very passionate and emotionally driven, then the trade-offs between your charitable mission and some of the other um, ethical considerations, I think, can sometimes be harder, um, yeah. sort of as I discussed with the homelessness versus versus environment uh, case. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating point. And, and that kind of goes into the, the what do we value and, and the, I guess the opportunity cost of doing what you're doing and not doing and, and, and the different views on how we value outcomes, which I hadn't really thought about. But certainly within the third sector, that seems hugely, hugely relevant. Um, when we talk about the, the types of decision-making processes or, or the ways that charities go through some of this decision-making around what they do and, and how they use their funds and things like that, or even, I guess, based on what you've spoken to some extent about there, um, organizational purpose and, and the objective they're trying to achieve. Do you think that there are common mistakes in there or, or do you think that people do things differently or, or I guess do you think there are ways that these organizations could be better at keeping in mind some of these risks that we've talked about here? I think, you know, one of the comments I made to you before we started is I don't hold myself to any higher, um, higher degrees than anyone else and probably the greatest thing we all do is not being aware of the ethical dimensions of a decision. Um, so I'll go back to something I thought about uh, more recently, but you know, 10, 10 years ago, I was leading a, a sports charity. We bought a lot of T-shirts, a lot of sports equipment. And yeah. because we were running at 100 miles an hour to achieve what we were looking to achieve and we measured ourselves on uh, the outcomes that we had, the supply chain of sporting equipment is not something that was particularly relevant to us. And I think that's one of the areas yeah. of hindsight, with hindsight and also uh, with a bit more time to consider it, you start thinking, well, should I have been more considerate and taken more of a leadership role in um, that sort of area? So I think probably the greatest challenge we all have, and I don't know if it's a mistake or not, but it's having the, the headspace, the bandwidth to think about what you're already doing and the different ethical dimensions that that might, might have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just in full disclosure to our audience, the sports charity you're talking about is the one that we both worked for 10 years ago. So those listeners, just so that they know, 
And I think it's a it's a really interesting thing because my memories of working in that organization are in a different situation but exactly the same that we were so cause driven about what we were doing and so fighting so hard to impact as many beneficiaries in a positive way as possible that the externalities and I'm thinking particularly around the mental health of the peak volunteers that we had weren't as clear and held in our mind and I think it's really challenging and one of the things I think is really interesting that actually maybe charities could learn from some of the more the businesses that are trying to do this more, and I know there are not many of them, but the ones that are, is how are they as as commercial entities still managing to factor in externalities and, and find that balance? Because I think that would really help. Yeah, and I think it's talking throughout the charity. So from volunteers through to the staff who are working at the front line uh, more centrally, but also the trustees. And I think... Most charities will have a board who are there for different reasons, have got a slightly different take on on outcomes. But I think it's getting a sense of what kind of organization do we want to be? What are the, the values that we espouse and how should we think about them? Because the decisions will be made much closer to, to the action than that. But really, it needs there to be a, an agreed approach to this that thinking about the environment or thinking about mental health um, or considering the whole life of our beneficiaries is really important to us and so that we we will make trade-offs between that and our financial success or our um, success measured clearly by the outcomes that are sort of core to the charity. And and you mentioned the board there do you think who when, you, when you're sitting as a role of a senior leader or a CEO in a charity, who is it you've got to win over to that case, do you think? Is it the board? Is it the staff? Is it is it everyone? Is it something that has to be part of your mission and values? Or, or do you think it's something that you kind of learn as you go? I think it's, um, it's a constant dialogue between people. I mean, if you go through all the ethical theory or the theory of different ethics and morality there's i don't think you'll ever get a full room uh, of people who will see the world exactly the same way and i think what that means is as an organization your business ethics if you like are effectively the agglomeration of the people who are in there and so i think the most important bit is is having a dialogue and i think this is where in some ways ethics gets a bad name because it's thinking of you're either doing things really good or you're doing things wrong and bad. And so it becomes into a blame culture. And, and I don't see it like that. I think it's trying to get a a sense of, well, what's the philosophy? And in some of these really difficult trade-offs, where do we feel the trade-off sits? And, and how do we get the organization to be comfortable and confident that everybody can make a decision that is congruent with how we see it, recognizing that everyone will have their own, um, you know, their own little take. They'll go home and be avid into environmental courses or avid into something else. But as an organization to have a character, as it were, that reflects a set of conversations that have been had over the time. Yeah, that's fascinating. There's some really good stuff in there. I've got, I guess, two questions that pop into my, my mind as you're going through, or three, I guess. Um, it's inevitable, right? Um, number one, when you're thinking about those impacts, do you use a framework? Would you use something like the Sustainable Development Goals as, as a way to consider the impacts that you have? Or have you got thoughts on that? 
Um, so I think we sit with the sustainable development goals are a useful framework. Um, in terms of going through it, I think maybe I'm very practical, but it's raising awareness of whether we think anything we're doing is significant enough to consider different ethical parts to it and then thinking about who that impacts, how it impacts them. And I think the important bit for me there is what are the unexpected bits? So, uh, you know, the the building shelters for homeless people, it's not the first thing you're thinking of as a, a charity leader there of what's the environmental consequence. So it's kind of the stakeholders who don't necessarily fit within your, your core group. Um, and, and going through those, and I think it's getting to the point, it's like, are we comfortable with within all of that complexity with the decision that we're making? And I think this is where you know, ethics is not a black and white subject and decisions are not black and white. But would you are you comfortable with the trade-offs you've made at that point yeah. within the environment you've done it? And I think it's that sort of critical thinking rather than necessarily a structured framework but probably as i alluded to beforehand the most important step in any of that process is is a little bit of the awareness yeah so you mentioned that you are both very practical and also that it has to be i think you use the phrase dialogue um what what when you're sitting running an organization what are you or do you think others are looking to do with their colleagues as they're going through their career journeys, try and make them more aware of that. Is it as simple as telling them? Is it about walking them through the uh, through the experiences or sharing the decisions you make as a CEO? How how can we get people early in their career to start valuing and thinking about this stuff? Do you think? I think you know one of my leadership philosophies is about being transparent, and I think you know I lead a team in a very small open plan office where we will have conversations, and it's about talking through decisions that we are making as a team or maybe that I'm making individually and understanding the why. Um, and I think if people don't hear the why, then they may see, you know, they'll make up the difference. So they might see a very consistent um, part, but the, the chief exec's thinking and working through things is a real cultural symbol of how do we do things around here, which is, you know, my take on what the values are or, or what the character of an organization is, is how are we doing things and what are we thinking about? And so hearing that we're thinking about people's mental well-being or we're thinking about the environment or we're considering the potential harm that could be done from any intervention and how we safeguard, in our case, young people from that, it's really important that those things are discussed openly so that people are getting a sense of we're not just doing what the policies say or what the law says or the mm -hmm. very minute task I've been asked to do now. We're, we're doing that with a bit of awareness around what we do. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's um, fun, really coincidentally, I was in a, a talk yesterday by a psychologist who's researching role modelling in environmental issues of CEOs and leaders and how just how much uh senior role holders in organizations can have influence over what is considered norms so she was particularly talking about cycling and she was talking about uh the various senior staff of the university at Not i think it was nottingham who um very deliberately turn up to meetings in their cycling kit right yeah. and they're they you will bump into them locking up their bike outside 
and they're very visible in it. And so one of the things they were talking about is that if there is something that is congruent within the leader's natural comfort zone and also at a value of the organization, them being incredibly visible and a kind of almost um, uh, performative about yeah. it so that they can demonstrate to others that it is, in fact, something that's desirable is, is massively impactful. Yeah, and I think it's it's making sure you stay on the right side of, of preaching. Um, yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a failed vegetarian. And I, I don't feel I can either preach um, the ethics of that to people, um, but actually talking about being a failed vegetarian, I think just shows the there's, there's a human side to what we all do. We all fail at, at times, but that it's considered. And I think what I see of value is that, the discussion is happening and if we might fall down on slightly different sides of an argument, I think that means that an entire team or an entire organization, if you scale it up, start seeing that whilst their particular perspective might not be what carries, it is a perspective that's been listened to. And do you think that that, because the implication of that is that we need to better make sure we're all comfortable with the idea there isn't a right answer? there might be multiple right answers or good enough answers for the organization. And also that uh, the, there is a debate to be had about ethics. Cause I think going back to the real simplistic stuff at the very beginning that you said, do we, how do we carry that message to everybody in the organization that it's not as straightforward as being ethical? Um, I've been ethical today is not something that you can, it, you know, it's a practice and it's a decision-making process to do the best you can within your values. Yeah, and I think, you know, that comes into being conscious but being – actually, I've lost my train of thought there, Jane. Um, take me back to what you're saying. Well, it's just because you were – funnily enough, I think it was you who mentioned to me on Twitter the other day about mm-hmm. uh, humble leadership and the humility of not always being right and how do we make sure – I think when people go into their new in career quite often, they they think there's a right answer and their managers know everything and there is literally, you know – if they don't know the answer, it's because they don't know the right answer, not that there isn't an answer. And actually, it's got to be a discussion and a decision that's got to be made. So it's about ambiguity, yeah, comfortable. exactly. And being comfortable with ambiguity. Uncertainty, and, all those VUCA type things. How does one maintain Yeah, how, do we, how can we do better at, at helping people early in their careers to understand that ambiguity of decision making? I think in some ways that does come from the leadership that's there. I think I try to make sure anybody who joins my team very quickly knows that I won't know the right answer. Um, I will have a perspective. I can help them. But uh, really often they are closer to the decision than I am. So I can give guiding principles, whether that's an ethical thing or that's a, you know, how we how we work more broadly. Um, but nobody has all of the information. And I think that's where in in ethics, in business ethics, it's hard to just have cookie-cutter rules. You know, you have policies, codes of conduct, et cetera. It, that's the, probably the easy stuff. When you get into the what do I do in this situation, how do I balance these things off, knowing how the rest of the organization feel about that, I think empowers people to, to make decisions. So I think it is, in some ways, it's hard for someone just starting out in their career to do that. But I think in some ways, you know, reading around the subject, but being comfortable in their own skin that they don't need to know the answer and understand that everybody's advice or opinion is a perspective rather than a fact. Yeah. I've got um, 
a question that popped into my head a little while ago, and, and maybe it's a bit of a hard one. I'm not sure. Um, some various things that I read occasionally pop up and say that to some extent philanthropy and charity within itself is at risk of being unethical because it, it's the will of individuals pursuing their own uh, purposes. What, what are your views on that? How does, yeah. how does that fit? I think it's a it's a really interesting. That comes into the ethics of whose money do you take and how do you design your programs and and I think probably a better answer to your very first question of, of why it's even more important with charities to consider ethics is we sit in a position between the most powerful of society and the least powerful of society. So we're often working with quite vulnerable people. And we're often funded by government, large institutions, wealthy benefactors. And so actually it's a, in some ways a real privilege, but it's a, a position of, of real responsibility that people need to, to think about. And, and that's where I think whether it's about your fundraising or it's who you associate yourselves in terms of a patron, it's really important to consider what you as an organization feel and then in terms of what you do and who you do it for, I think that's where the whole area of uh, co-production, co-creation comes important, that you have the voice of the beneficiary within that design. So it's not what you or a wealthy individual thinks should be done to a community or to a group of individuals, but it's what those people are uh, sense that they need themselves. And I think that's a really important balance yeah, and it sounds like a very difficult thing to to achieve. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I it, it is. I think uh, you know. The more I think about this, the more I think it must be a very challenging position to be in. How much? How how much do you work with other CEOs? You mentioned being in a, a conference those years. How much do you feel that the sector in the UK certainly works together on stuff like this to support each other? Um, I would say probably on issues then charities talk together and, and work on it. So things like the um, diversity uh, makeup of senior leadership or trustees within charities, you're seeing some movements around that to get greater diversity. Um, but I think you probably don't have the luxury of time to have lots of think groups around how we approach ethics, uh, ethics as a whole. And from your perspective, you've obviously worked in a number of organisations now. Um, do you find, does this occupy quite a significant amount of your sort of mental and emotional thought and energy? Or is it is it something that, like, I mean, you use the word luxury there, which I think is really interesting. Like, does it, does it feel like something you have to kind of force into your time because you're so busy? Um, I think I would say ethical decision-making is embedded in decision-making. There's not a different set of uh, decisions you're making that are purely ethical ones. They come into, uh, you know, organizations will talk about their triple bottom line of the, the profits, uh, their society and, and the environments. And I think for us, it's our beneficiaries. It's uh, the broader society or which stakeholders we deal with and the environment. So every decision can have an ethical lens. And I think it's where luxury comes up is probably how how many of those decisions you really think about and discuss and debate more broadly about what you feel either as an individual or as a leader or as an organization that you want to take a, a stand on. So, you know, we 
you know, in the last 15 years, uh, I don't think I've ever had a, this must be a vegetarian or a vegan conference. Uh, some people will, and some people see that as a really important aspect of their organization. I'm sure the Vegetarian Society will uh, no doubt have that. But in a way, us not making that decision is an ethical stance and it's its own right of that, uh, that isn't as important to an organization as all of the other things we have been looking at. And that, you know, that's where it's about trade-offs and it's about flexibility. But I think it's the important bit in terms of making mature decisions is that it's embedded in what you're doing at all times rather than seen as an extra activity that you might have time to to discuss. So the luxury thing was really about, I suppose, bouncing these ideas off peers. Yeah. 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 And the, the thing that strikes me in all of this is that you, you, you're going to have a better opportunity to do this if you have more information and you'll get more information if your colleagues and your organisation are comfortable and feel safe and happy to share their concerns would that be fair and, and and do you have any thoughts on how leaders and ceos can make sure or at least support their staff to feel confident that if they speak up they'll be um at very least not not uh, not challenged for perhaps questioning the methods or the ethics of the organization yeah i think it is about creating psychological safe space for people in an organization now where i am at speakers trust is one of our key values is about people being able to um, express themselves, bring themselves to work. And that's because it's embedded right into what we do as an organization. So we help young people give their perspective, have the confidence and skills to give their perspective on the world at large. And I think we'd be hypocrites if we didn't ensure that that went right through the organization. So for us, in a sense, that's uh, relatively easy. Um, I know in, in other organizations, it, it can feel uh, difficult. But I think where you've got that safe space, you've got the conversation. And what that will do is I won't think of the ethical lens of every decision I make. But if one of my team says something around, what have you thought about that? Then that's a real trigger to me to think, have I given that consideration? And if they're too afraid to, to bring that up, then then maybe I will make decisions that later I think, you know, I'd like to have gone a different route. So um, I think it's an incredibly important thing to have those different perspectives. Otherwise, you're just, you know, going down one line without necessarily having people challenging your thinking. Yeah, and I, I also think, um, I totally agree with that. And the other thing I would say is sharing where you reflectively think you've got it wrong in the past is incredibly powerful. I think when I've had bosses in the past who have, you know, we maybe we've been making a decision on an annual or a, a biannual basis and we've come around to make it again and they, they've changed their stance and giving me the time I think you talked about is sharing your why mm. um but when they've given me the time to explain why they've changed their stance and actually with a little bit of oh you know I didn't really have the time to talk, think about this fully and this wasn't where my head was but now I see this is a different decision um I think that's incredibly powerful to, to share that with an organization yeah, and I think, you know, just as a real practical example of the type of ethical issues that charities or non-profits have, one I was really impressed with, and I hope I get the right uh, example, I think it was Tate, it was either the Tate, Tate Britain or one of those museums that had a large oil company as a sponsor. 
And they put it out first, that came through the staff, but they actually took the really brave move of, I think they were sponsoring an education program, and they put it out to the young people to have them discuss whether a uh, an oil company with the whole issues around fossil fuel, et cetera, would be the right sponsor for them. So actually having the bravery to have your own ethics challenge. So I don't know how the chief exec felt about that or the board or the chair, but right out. So these are the people we're saying we help and we're going to reflect their ethics and our decision-making. You know, I don't know if I've ever had the courage to do that in such an obvious way where a really big impact of sponsorship of a major program um, but that's the sort of brave move that I would aspire to as a as a chief exec. And the, the what's so brilliant about doing things like that and doing them publicly is that you also, uh, in some senses, reduce your own singular responsibility for them as an organisation in a good way. So instead of feeling like you have to justify it on your own, the the strength of that argument to your board or to your stakeholders or to your other funders that you potentially might choose something that feels at first glance to be detrimental to the charity, but is is what the beneficiaries want, is such an easy, it's so much easier to make that argument when you've got 200 school kids all saying, well, this is what we're telling you we want. So you need to at least, very least consider that. And I think, you know, one of the things that strikes me is having sat in a number of boardrooms now in small and medium-sized charities, quite often it's the CEO on their own or the CEO plus one. And they are feeling like they have to justify entire ethical stances on things with constantly against their board. And so when you've got the support of your staff and your beneficiaries and can use examples from that and data from that, I think that's really powerful. Yeah. And I think some of that, uh, just give me another thought of an organization whose response to an ethical question really was was challenged quite publicly recently. Uh, and that's the RNLI about the fact that they did work to prevent drowning internationally. And they got a lot of criticism in the press. And what was important there is that they've been really transparent about what they were doing, how their money was being spent, and that whilst the, and that narrative came out. And I think their donations went up off the basis of that, which reflected that their broad supporter base actually felt that taking the knowledge and skills built in, in the UK around around our island and, and how to keep people safe in water should be something that they can export. But I think that's where they clearly, because they responded instantly and they showed where they'd been talking about it beforehand, they'd clearly been through a process where they had thought clearly about that. So, you know, the one practical benefit from having an ethical perspective on your decisions is that in crisis management you're ahead of the curve and they really were in that case yeah i'd just like to reflect back on a little bit of that conversation there so one thing that that makes me slightly nervous is um maybe an illusion that the voice of a beneficiary as a recipient of a service are ethically um pure themselves if that makes sense so i think there's Mm -hmm. a risk that you go out to your population and they come back with something that that you deem to be unethical. So part of that obligation, I believe, is a a stewardship obligation. And I can imagine it being very difficult to go contrary to the views of of your your body of people. So, for example, I know in some arts organizations, I think people wanted to keep Sackler funding Mm. over the last couple of years. And and I think you you need to have real courage of leadership to say, despite the views of my my stakeholder group, they're they're focusing on self-interest as opposed to broader interest. And then to stand up and challenge that, I think, is, is ethically hugely courageous. 
but yeah, difficult. I would I would totally agree with that, and I think it goes back to it's really interesting what you said about being ahead of the curve on crisis management. Yeah. Um, if you know the answer to the question that could be asked, then you're infinitely in a better place from a decision making point of view, and with confidence in your own position. Actually, irrespective of where the challenge comes from, whether it comes from the public, your beneficiaries, whether it comes from your your board members or even your staff, and I think I think that's really really powerful. But it it only happens if you take the time and space to have that conversation and to process horizon scan. And yeah, horizon scan. That's very catchy. Oh, sorry. Is that a thing? <laughs> horizon scan. Yeah, that's a thing. Oh, I'm so behind the curve. <laughs> I'm sure Russell horizon scans all the time, right? Oh, it's forever. Um, I think you know one point I was going to pick up on. I know a lot of the people you talk to are in the the HR world, and, and ethics start as soon as you start employing people around you know, how you have your recruitment process, uh, what diversity really means to you as an organization, um, the the advertising on that, the development, the, how you do salaries. And, you know, large organizations are critiqued for salaries and pay gaps. Charities are under the spotlight there too. And so I think understanding some of the rationale of how the organization wants to be is it, it, in HR, it's really important to to be challenging that as well because, you know, if you think of ethics and morality about how you interact with others, then interacting with your, your workforce and your volunteer force is, is really important. I think there are so many decisions there that might just feel as though they are policy decisions from a very out-of-date employee handbook, but when you bring ethical discussions to life, I think that's where things like HR come alive because that's how do we want to relate to the people who spend their their days working with us. Yeah. I think that's a good message. I think, unfortunately, though, Russell, we are getting out of time as we do. I've, I've had um, some really interesting sort of moments of thinking throughout that. So thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, before we wrap up, um, have you got any thoughts on how listeners could find out more about you, what you do, what the Speakers Trust does, or any any places people might be able to read a bit more about ethical decision-making? Sure. In terms of me, then um, my Twitter handle, is that still the right word? Is at Russell Finlay. Yeah, at Russell Finlay. Um, I blog on LinkedIn and people can, can find me there. Um, and I'm no business ethics expert, as I think I, I hopefully said early on, um, but I'll blog about anything I feel is important to the challenges of leading charities and leading social causes. Um, Speakers Trust, at Speakers Trust or speakerstrust.org, great place if you want to improve the way you communicate and have your perspective heard. On ethical stuff, go out and be curious would be my one uh, comment and have discussions, but one of the best online courses I've ever done is um, called Justice by Michael Sandel, and it's from a Harvard Business School um, course. I think it's the most popular uh, course in Harvard, and he talks about very day-to-day issues and then brings out the kind of ethics and philosophy and kind of the theories of philosophy and brought in a really good way through dialogue. Um, and so if anyone wants to get a little deeper dive into the the ethical theories, it's just the best place to start. That's great. And is that on something like Coursera or EDX? Or do you know how people could find that? Is that direct yeah. through Harvard? Um, I always go to my favorite website, Google, and write Michael Sandel Justice, and you will find it, no doubt. Right. Yeah, I think it's actually a book as well. I yes, think it's it is. It's based on a book he wrote. So um, – 
because I've, I've got a feeling, yeah, I've got a feeling it's on my unread list at mm. the moment, probably from you. Move um, it to the red list. I will, <laughs> straight away. Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's really, it's been a real pleasure to yeah, get an insight pleasure. on some of the challenges that CEOs might face and senior leaders and charities. I, I, you know, I think it's, um, it's not easy and, and for us to pretend that this stuff is straightforward, I feel does a disservice to the people doing the jobs. Thanks, Russell. Thank you. Take care. Bye. 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 Okay, so that was our chat with Russell. I thought it was really interesting. I think there's some really good stuff in there and he's uh, unsurprisingly a good speaker about this subject given where he works. <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, just, the more I get into talking, doing these interviews with people like Russell and also when we met James from Cook, I just realised how complex it is going to be for organisations who want to get better at this stuff and think more about this stuff. But yeah. amazing conversation, just just yeah. it is, it is... It's not simple, and I, th- I, I begin to understand why people have struggled with embedding it in their organisations. Absolutely. It's, a, it's such a complex area. Have you got any specific takeaways from that conversation you'd like to reflect yeah, on? Well, I mean, there was loads, but I, probably the thing that I think really struck me was his conversation about it, it being a process and building mm-hmm. that process both across the organization so people are engaged in it, yeah. but also that it needs to be embedded within your decision-making process. This isn't... Ethical decision making is not like a module you pick up and you yes, slot yeah, into yeah. your organization. It's not it like has Tuesday to... ethical time, it's everyday ethical time. <laughs> Tuesday ethic day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, exactly. It's And you have to find your way to yeah. work out what your process is such that it will improve the way that you feel you're making decisions in line with your ethics. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an all encompassing sort of way of being and working, I guess, as opposed to a modular bottom. yeah which which kind of explains why it's so difficult yeah it is well i guess for me one of the big takeaways is around um similarly some of the complexity around this and and for me it's around the fact that i guess as a leader you need to weigh up all of these things you need to weigh up the efforts uh the, the outcomes you're trying to achieve you need to weigh up the externalities and the negative side consequences associated with them and and you need to make that decision around what the right thing is to do with your own sense of ethics and and your own sense isn't necessarily going to be the same as everybody else's so so you need to be able to hold your position um be informed but be comfortable with uh, the discomfort of the fact that others might disagree or that you might not be right and to still still exist in that i guess sort of uncertain complex ambiguous world and you might not be as successful by the measures that external organizations and people and your peers hold yeah so you may not hit the targets that you would have hit had you chosen not to embed that and that is a reality and i think that's um that's a conversation leaders have to have with themselves right you have to be comfortable with that yeah and this is an evolving area i believe people are going to keep thinking about this and reflecting on it and trying to work out you know, like um, Russell alluded to, the triple bottom line, other ways to measure organizational success. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I just like what he said. It's, it's about a kind of, there was there's a piece about its effort. Yeah. It's a lot of this is about trying it and yeah, just practicing and, and intention and keeping working at it rather yeah. than thinking somehow you can just suddenly be this great. Magic pill. Magic pill. Suddenly today yeah, I yeah, am yeah, yeah. ethical we leader. Are ethico. Yeah. <laughs> ethico. No, you are definitely not doing branding. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's leave it there. Let's just say it was a good chat and we will check out of here and check back with another episode in not too long. See you guys. Hi, thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. 
To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you. Thank you.